Okay, everyone, it's time to hurry up and wait in the regroup, your podcast in between the stages. Welcome to the regroup with Zane and GT. I'm GT. I'm Zane. How you going, guy? Oh, not too bad. It's a shame we can't be together again. Um, no, no, long distance this time. Um, you, mm. you, you're busy. I'm going to India tomorrow, so it's, um, mm. it's a bit hectic. But not a, not a lot happening. Yes, but yep. it's an important episode. We are recording. We're getting through it because we have a very special guest with us today. Sure. And, and I think like our, own, our last podcast was only about two weeks ago with Troy Dow and it's a big success. And um, we had good, good fun with Troy and talking about Gippsland. But um, yeah, we thought we'd chuck this one in here, I suppose, and talk to someone who's, oh, I don't think he's been doing much in the past week. Um, you know, had a pretty quiet weekend and a pretty, pretty easy one this week. Um, how you going, Harry? Good. Thank you, guys. How are you? Good, good. Probably uh, a little bit more relaxed than you are. <laughs> no, I'm all right. The big show's over. I'm just uh, having some fun at Bathurst this weekend in the Toyota 86 Racing Series. But, um, but yeah, certainly slightly relieved that our Rally New Zealand campaign's over. Uh, just just on a quick look, it looked like you were doing some rallying um, in the chase today. Oh, God, you saw that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very challenging conditions at Bathurst this weekend, mm. as you all would have seen. But, uh, no, it, it it makes it fun, to be honest. It makes it a bit more interesting. And I sort of knew that um, we were probably never going to have the dry pace of the top 86 guys to be up the front if it was dry all weekend. So throw in mm. some rain and then see how we go. That's <laughs> <laughs> work. Yeah, um, so obviously we got you on because you did a pretty pretty major event, um, probably the biggest event of your career on the weekend, the Rally New Zealand. Um, first time Rally New Zealand. Uh, the WRC, uh, I suppose, has been there since for about since 2012, 10 years. Um, had you ever actually been over to New Zealand to have a look at any sort of rallies in the past? Um, I went to Rally New Zealand in 2008 when I was 12. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's been a while. And back then they were still running the two-litre um, world rally cars. And I mm. think that year Loeb won the event. So, yes, it had been a while. Mm. You, you didn't go over with your dad when he um, had the Salika at all? No, nah, I never went to Otago. Uh, that was in 2014 and 2015 when Dad ran Otago. But um, mm. no, sadly, I didn't go to either of those. And to be honest, I think obviously Otago is based on the South Island down in Dunedin there. Mm. Um, Rally New Zealand's based out of Auckland and the North Island. And uh, the stages are a little bit different. But um, yeah, mm. I guess we'll get onto the stages soon. <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, one of our first questions was where did the whole sort of campaign start? Obviously, you had the backing from Pedders. Um, on a quick side note, it looked like Mark got a pretty cool ride on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, Mark got to have a run in a uh, Rally 1 hybrid with Lorenzo Bertelli. Uh, Zane's Zane's best mate, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was pretty cool. And I think we did laugh before Mark went in the car with him that mm. we hoped he would at least get a pair of Prada Sunnies out of it or something. <laughs> <laughs> because for those who don't know, Lorenzo Batelli is like the heir to the Prada uh, mm. empire. So his parents are the owners of Prada. But um, mm. yeah, that was a cool experience and very fast road for Mark to experience a Rally 1 hybrid car. He said the the biggest thing that shocked him was the launch off the start and just the 0 to 100 time of those Rally 1 hybrids. He said he's unbelievable. Mm. Um, but back to the first part of your question <laughs> about how it came about. Um it really came about way back at the Nessie National Capital Rally back in April, was it? Yeah. Mm. Um, basically, we had a very good event there, very strong event. Um, it's my home rally. I love competing in Canberra and we just had a 
a strong performance, I guess. Uh, mm. And Scott Petter was actually, Scott Petter himself was at that event competing uh, in the Renault, Marty Renault Clio, mm. uh, but he had a DNF on day one. Um, and, and then basically at some point over the course of the weekend, he had the idea in his head to support me to do Rally New Zealand. Uh, and basically within the next sort of few weeks, I was in chats with Pedders about, um, you know, that they came to me and essentially offered support, which is, mm. you know, such a unicorn in our world for a sponsor to be coming to you and and offering that sort of support. So it's something that I still can't quite believe happened and that I'm very appreciative of. But um, certainly it was Mark and Scott and the wider Pedders team who were pretty desperate to support um, to support me and I guess an mm. Aussie to go over and take on the world at Rally New Zealand. Mm. So Amazing. back back in uh, Canberra, were you still having plans of getting the AP4 across or was that was that over by then as well? Uh, we had talked about it. Obviously, when Rally New Zealand was put on the calendar, we looked at it and thought that would be a nice thing to do. The drama was always going to be freight and uh, in terms of getting it back for the Adelaide Hills Rally. So, you know, Rally New Zealand was only on the weekend and then we've got the Adelaide Hills Rally in two weeks and I really needed that car for the Adelaide Hills Rally and with the way freight is at the moment, uh, at the time, I guess we still thought it was a possibility. Maybe we could run at the Rally New Zealand in the Yaris. Uh, but in hindsight, the decision not to run Rally New Zealand in the Yaris was actually the correct one because I'm 95% sure it wouldn't have been possible. With freight, you mean? Yeah, with freight yeah. and also the holdups with Australian quarantine at the moment on, on shipments coming into the country. Yeah, well, I mean, another competitor had a bit of drama there. I think Mike Young got his car stuck on a container ship. So, yeah, not the, not yeah. the best way to start a rally. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, obviously feel very sorry for Mike on that one because I know what it's like. You put in a lot of effort to organise these things and commit to doing a WRC. To have that sort of thing happen to you would be a real nightmare. So, obviously, um, just on a quick side note, I suppose you, you committed to doing all seven rounds, well, six rounds now, the Australian Championship in the year. So was it ever maybe an option to drop Adelaide Hills? You, you just did mention that you, there was no option to that or you really wanted to be there? No. I think uh, such is our commitment to mm. Toyota and, mm. uh, you know, our other sponsors and partners to do the Australian Rally Championship that mm. dropping around really isn't an option for us. So, um, so no, that probably wouldn't have been an option. I mean, yeah, I'm not – yeah, mm. it's funny how things work <laughs> out. I'm, I'll never – I didn't – have to think about it so much after March. I was just hell bent on finding a WRC two car and and putting that whole uh, plan together that I didn't have to think so much about doing it in the Yaris anymore. Yeah. So so tell us about the car. Is that a New Zealand car or is that from Australia? Um, neither. So the car came from Germany. Oh, okay. Uh, it was owned by a guy by the name of Matthias Carlo, uh, and oh. So the whole way the thing came about was that uh, there are no, there were no WRC two cars available on this side of the world to lease. So in an ideal world, I could have run with, say, Race Talk at Rally New Zealand, but Shane obviously already mm. uh, had that car organised, so that wasn't an option. And then I searched and searched and talked and talked and looked around for but other options and there really weren't any. So then I started contacting European teams about leasing a car off them. And uh, of the teams that were prepared to run me in New Zealand, 
the the major hurdle was the freight, and we're talking return air freight here. Uh, sea freight was never an option because of the fact that the car would be away from their workshop for far too long. Uh, you know, for these sort of teams, the car is their revenue maker. Uh, you know, they only make money when it's doing rallies. So if it's on the ocean for six months, then uh, that's no good to them. So air freight was the only option. And for return air freight, we were looking at just money that barely even, you know, is worth mm. talking about, like upwards of $200,000 and things oh. like this for oh. air freight uh, to Europe, to New mm -hmm. Zealand return. So uh, the only option left for us was actually to purchase a Skoda Rally 2 car uh, or a Rally 2 car of some description and uh, ship it over ourselves and then not have to worry about the return freight costs, which cut our freight bill in half, um, and then hopefully sell the car on after the event, which is what we're in the process of doing now. <laughs> One Skoda going cheap. Yeah, not too cheap. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's been only, only driven on Sundays, Fridays and Saturdays. Yeah. 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 Is, is that kind of the – so it was like, I guess, your your car. So is that the reason why you were able to do like that test the month before and that opened the opportunities there for a bit more time in the car before the event? Yeah, basically. So, uh, yeah, the car arrived in New Zealand around about a month ahead of the event, I think. Can't remember the mm. exact date it arrived now. Uh, so we were able to do a test in early September, um, mm. which was good. That day we did about 75 kilometres of testing on a pretty fast road in forestry just south of Auckland. Um, and that was that was good because I was able to obviously get in the car three or four weeks ahead of the event and actually start to wrap my head around everything that is about the Skoda. Um, and then we flew back over and were able to do another test before rally week as well, um, just on the Sunday prior to the rally. Mm. Now, we, we, I do have a question. Was this the first rally you've ever done that isn't in a Toyota? Yes. Yeah. How did that feel? Did you feel a little bit dirty about that? I did. Uh, very luckily, I organized a meeting with Toyota when all of this was starting to come together and spoke to them about my situation, spoke to them about the fact that I was desperate to do a round of WRC2. Uh, that was my my goal and my dream at, at this point in my career. That that that's the absolute truth of it. And uh, obviously, they don't have a WRC two car at this point. So, uh, Toyota Australia, to their absolute credit, were extremely understanding and supportive, and and you know, were basically, uh, yeah, th the words of one of the managers there who I deal with quite regularly was never let a good opportunity pass you by. So um, so they were great and I was very grateful for that. That made life a little bit easier, but I must say it was still quite strange getting the photos at the end of each day and seeing uh, my name on the side of a car with a different badge on the front. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a similar setup as Hayden Patton did a few years ago, which wasn't didn't uh, bear any fruit with the, uh, with the M Sport um, deal, unfortunately. But, yeah, um, uh, that's really, really good at Toyota and good to hear about that. At least it was... Still red and white predominantly there. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess uh, let's let's get into the rally. Um, and 
look, I, I think Zane and I and a few other mates that were here in Adelaide watching it, um, following the All Live, and weird times compared to our usual, you know, late European, uh, um, you know, into the evening and early morning. Um, we were, you know, having to get up at five or six o'clock to watch the stages. And I think we, like, I, I felt like I was the only Australian not there by the looks of it, <laughs> the amount of social media <laughs> sort of content going out. Uh, so there was a lot of, obviously, support um, from from across the ditch for you there. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Honestly, not only was there so much support on the ground in New Zealand, but also it felt like with the amount of messages of good luck and everything we were getting from back home, it was um, it was a nice feeling. That That is one cool thing. And, Guy, you would know this yourself mm. about going and competing overseas is you really actually do get that feeling like you're representing Australia and not just yourself, mm. which, um, yeah, which is a nice feeling for sure. Yeah, and I, as a as a rally fan, it's it's nice to see an Australian flag on the entry list every mm. now and then because um, we don't get that too often. And I know it's only in New Zealand; it's only a, a few kilometres away. But yeah, to see a WRC event with what three, four Australian flags in it was pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, and and especially, um, <clears throat> I mean, and you mentioned just before about you really wanted to be part of the WRC too. I mean, leading up to the event and the just like the doing recce and all that sort of stuff would have been maybe a little bit different to compare to just running a, an Australian rules car in, in Coffs Harbour a few years ago and that sort of thing. It would have been a pretty cool experience. Um, I think we'll just skip ahead to the um, to the super special and I think Zane had a pretty good <laughs> uh, opinion of what happened there. We, we want to ask it from your side as well. Well, your first donut, your first corner of the rally really Um I did say to uh, to Guy as you did it. It looked like your first donut in the in the Skoda, um, but your second donut looked like your thousandth donut. That was perfect. So it's something actually. Um, Luke Kinnear put an Instagram story up of his on board, and um, it was absolute disaster on the first one. He did too few laps. Had to go back do another one, and he actually made a comment at the end that you never get to practice that. And it's true, you, you, you know, you, unless you go out to a Woolworths car park and start. Going uh, doing helis around a trolley, you're not really going to get experience with that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it it wasn't a disaster, my first donut, but it definitely wasn't perfect. So yeah. I was pretty pretty annoyed with myself when I exited that donut that I sort of had to have a bit of a second stab at it at one point. But you're right, it isn't something you get to um you get to rehearse at all. The one slightly silly thing I had in my head on the start line is that. Uh, the tyres that I used on the super special stage were actually, the so the Thursday night super special, I needed those tyres for Sunday because we'd done a bit of a tyre mm. plan and we'd done the numbers and I knew that I needed them. So oh. um, hooking massive burnouts around a um, around a barrel <laughs> is a good way to torch tyres. So <laughs> what, I was, what I was trying to do was get around in, I guess, one motion, but also using the least amount of throttle possible. And on that first donut, I backed out of the throttle slightly too much and then went into a bit of understeer. So then on the next two, I just went, bugger the tyres, I'll just make sure I do it properly. <laughs> yeah, There's no, 5,000 right. people watching and yeah. countless online. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it, was, it was a fun, it, it was a really interesting first corner, really, when you think about it. It's the first corner of the rally and it's probably the mm. hardest corner you'd ever have to do uh, on a tarmac stage you know, changeable conditions over a blind crest. Like it was pretty full on. Even Takamoto Katsuda, he braked 50 meters too early and then overshot the donut. So I'm not <laughs> sure what he was doing. Um, and then, yeah, Patelli went past it and yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a challenging one. It wasn't um, only that. All the things that you don't see when you're not in the rallies, uh, the fact that 
we had to recce that stage just before we did it in our rally cars. So the recce was run, um, yeah, basically at I think the stage started at 5 p.m. and the recce was done at about 3.30. Um, and it was chaos, the recce, because everyone was doing multiple laps of this barrel. So you had cars trying to give way to other cars on the recce. And, <laughs> and you and, came back through, didn't you, to do that again? Correct, correct. Yeah. And so you sort of come around to do your two laps of a barrel, uh, which, as you say, you had to do the same barrel a few times. And then there's Carle Rovenpera giving way to you so that you can do your <laughs> multiple laps of the barrel and everything. Pretty priceless. So, so yeah, th- it, you know, those spectator stages are great for the crowds, but for competitors, they're a little bit draining, I must say, mm. because you end up um, spending a lot of time and a lot of energy doing something for one or two kilometers, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it's always said about the Mickey Mouse stages, you can you can't win it, but you can lose it. And and exactly your words there, Harry, is um, what I what I thought at the time watching it. It was a heap of entertainment. It was a, it was probably <laughs> um, apart from probably Jack's Ridge and the, the final stage, it was the um, the most entertaining sort of live stage that we got to watch. But I, I thought at the time I would not want to be doing that. That doesn't look <laughs> like a lot of fun um, to actually try and set a time against the clock there concrete jungle yeah that's right and there were high gutters everywhere and yeah it's just one of those stages where you're thinking just want to start the rally and get through here cleanly Mm. so that's a little bit what i had in my head yeah yeah Mm. and it kind of leads in well to our next point is the rally was very changeable um in terms of conditions so i know the start of that stage it was it was quite wet um uh, when when they first went through and that kind of continued on for the whole event was you know it'd start raining halfway through a stage and the, the driver that got rained on would get upset and then, you know, uh, muddy patches and stuff like that. How was that dealing with that? To be honest, it wasn't too bad. Uh, you know, we sort of knew looking at the forecast that was how it was going to be. Uh, I always had it in my head when we hit rain that it was the same for everyone. I tried not to let myself think that I was getting the worst of the rain or anything like that. The other factor in New Zealand, which is not a factor in Australia, uh, is that their roads are less affected by rain than ours. So the grip level doesn't change that much. Uh, the only thing that really changes is there were times where rain got so heavy that your vision was a little bit affected because your wipers couldn't keep up. But in all honesty, the surface over there, uh, especially on the Friday and the Sunday where conditions were changeable, the surface was pretty unaffected by the the rain that was falling. The only day where the surface became really slippery was that that Saturday where it just bucketed down in Auckland all day, uh, and we had that we had those stages to the north of the city. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Similar to Adelaide roads, I guess they they kind of drain really well and don't really get too bad. Yep, exactly the same. So no different to going into uh, High Eden or um, Goldfields during rain. It really doesn't matter that much. You're just keeping an eye out for maybe the occasional sort of orangey coloured corner. Mm. Um, but other than that, it's pretty good. Yeah, the, those clay bits definitely, even on the TV, did stand out, that's for sure. But we still got saw a few people getting um, unstuck by them, that's for sure. And like you say about the surface there, I think I'm going to have to bring the Magna over because um, <laughs> it'll probably suit the roads, <laughs> being nice and flowy and, and pretty grippy. Um, definitely, yeah, yeah. You'll have to, um, yeah, you'll have to put wider tyres on it. <laughs> Are you? Do you already run two hundred fives on the Magnum? Yeah, yeah, two hundred five. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go some, go some or something. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I guess going along with your story there, um, is the second or third WSC2 on the, on the super special stage? Third. Third, uh, just behind Hayden and Van Gitt. Yep. yep. Um, but then I think you were second outright time behind Hayden on the first stage on Friday? Fanger yep, Coast? second on Fonga Coast, yep, just mm. uh, behind Hayden. Well, I shouldn't say mm. just behind Hayden. He he basically cleaned us all up. Uh, he was 14 seconds ahead of me. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Shane and Katenovic were just behind me, not far. Um, so we actually had a very good first stage. We had a good Fonga Coast, yeah. I guess the way to describe it is Hayden did what you do in the ARC, um, just won the rally in the first two stages. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I would say in hindsight that that was probably always going to be the case when you're staring at a, a 29K and a 31K to stage to start the rally. Uh, and then you've got someone like Hayden Patton, who's obviously exceptional. Uh, it was probably a bit of a foregone conclusion that we were going to be fighting for second from early on, but that wasn't obviously what I had in my head at the start. No, you can't uh, think that, can you? No, no, but... Um, to be honest, when I got to the end of Fonger Coast and we were 14 down on Hayden, I sort of thought that's actually not a bad start to the rally because mm. half a second of K off Hayden was mm. was um, something that I had in my head that would be a reasonable marker to work with. And uh, Although I did have in my head as well that I was hoping to go forward from there, which um, didn't eventuate straight away. Yeah, so tell us tell us about that. You, you did end up getting some stage wins, um, two of them in fact. Um, but they did come a little bit later in the rally. So how did that process go for you? Because I guess sitting at home, the first stage was quite good, um, only 14 seconds off Hayden. And then you kind of fell off a little bit and then came back on the on the uh, later days. So the Friday for us was kind of a, a day of two, two separate sections, I guess you would say. The Friday morning went pretty well. Uh, the second stage on Friday, which was stage three of the rally, Tiako South, uh, the 31K stage, uh, we were having a very good stage. We had a spin at the end, though, on the same corner as about, I think, three of the yeah. <laughs> Rally 1 cars had a spin. I had actually wrote that down, Harry, um, and I, I thought you might be proud of being uh, actually spun in the same spot as, as Neville and um, Takamoto. <laughs> I'd, be more, I'd be more proud if it didn't cost me 15 or 16 seconds. Um, so, you know, that, that happens. Mm. Uh, but at the time, it really didn't bother me because I knew we were having a good stage before that and I knew we could go into the next one and be back on the pace, which was pretty much what we did. So uh, all in all, the Friday morning, despite losing 16 seconds with a spin, was actually a very good morning. And I was like, this is good. I'm happy. This is where we're at, um, et cetera, et cetera. So at that point in the rally, we were sitting in third um, in WRC2, mm. uh, just ahead of Shane, not far ahead of Shane. And also not far behind Katan Katanovic. Um, but then we had our remote tyre fitting zone. Uh, tyres were a big discussion of the Friday because whilst they were quite long stages, we were also dealing with rain. So there was it was a really line ball decision whether you go the soft tyre or the hard tyre. But ultimately, everyone went the same way. We all went the soft tyre. Uh, unfortunately, I got far worse tyre wear than pretty much everyone else on the second pass through Fonga Coast, um, which did two things. One is I started losing lots of time on the splits from halfway through the stage, uh, and I could feel that we were losing tyres and we were clearly over pressure and, um, you know, that I was aware that was happening. 
and then towards the end of Fonger, I actually sort of nosed it into a bank on a very slow second gear left-hander and uh, that cost us another 12 seconds or something like that, um, which was pretty frustrating. Uh, but anyway, got to the end of Fonger Coast, dropped 40 seconds or whatever it was, uh, which was a pretty awful feeling. But anyway, you wouldn't say the cars were down and it was all over at that stage. Uh, put some new tyres on the front and then went into Tiako South and uh, one of our new tyres punctured halfway through Tiako South and we had to drive out with a uh, a puncture, which cost us two minutes. So that was pretty much the story of our Friday afternoon, really, was uh, probably really before Fonga, we got our tyre pressures a bit wrong. That was part of the reason they went off so badly halfway through the stage. So that was a good learning lesson. Uh, and then Tiako South got a puncture from I don't know what. Uh, it was just an unlucky puncture. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty much how our Friday afternoon unravelled. Then I had to go into the last stage of the day, Tiako North, with uh, one of the spares, which was one of my front tyres from Fonga on the car, and they were like slicks. So um, so we just had to basically drive around, stay in the line and um, make sure we weren't risking the biscuit. So, yeah, it was a pretty, um, yeah, one of those things that just unraveled faster than I could have, uh, could have imagined at that point. Yeah, so... Too high pressure caused the extra tire wear? Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So it turns out um, we had to run a pretty different tire strategy for Saturday with regards to pressures, but the the Pirelli actually takes a bit longer to stabilise than the Hoosier does pressures uh, in terms of pressures. And obviously I tested on the Pirelli, done all that, but in testing you're always doing lots of three and five kilometre stages. You're never doing a 30 kilometer stage. So you just don't have those key learnings. And uh, we probably ran a bit of a Hoosier tire strategy, what we would normally do here with the pressures. Uh, and a Pirelli just spikes far higher than that. Like, uh, yeah, we were way over pressure. You could see by the wear, uh, the wear pattern on the tire that, um, that we were way over pressure. And I reckon that happened halfway through the stage. So, so yeah, good yeah, learning it's, lesson. It's interesting, like because it was it was like reasonably cold and wet too, and you usually don't see high, high tire wear in in cold wet rallies. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, it was cold and wet in places, and then uh, there was an area like Brendan Reeves was spectating down near the ocean on Fonga Coast, about halfway through the stage. And he actually didn't get a drop of rain all day. And all the videos from that part of the stage, there's dust coming off the cars on both the first and the second pass. So, there, yeah, New Zealand weather is all over the shop. And uh, in any one stage, you can have uh, a pretty decent range of conditions. Hmm. All right. So tell us about Saturday because it, it did start mm -hmm. going a bit better after that, after your, your terrible Friday afternoon. Uh, yep. So Saturday was better. We struggled with car setup in the morning in the wet. Uh, it was proper wet conditions Saturday. We didn't have a quite right. We were too high in the rear ride height and I was just struggling for confidence. It didn't feel stable at all. So at the midday service, um, we dropped the rear ride height. And I guess as a team as well, like I had all of my usual team over there from Neil Bates Motorsport. So a bunch of Aussies in New Zealand trying to learn a new car and um, 
we um, we did learn. We had to learn fast. Uh, and then after the midday service, went back out and won the very next stage, uh, which was, to be honest, quite a nice feeling at that point. We were after something that was a bit of a confidence booster because, uh, yeah, obviously between Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, we hadn't really had anything go our way yet. Uh, and so that was a pretty nice feeling. Um, and then we went into the next stage, which was Puhoy. I'm not sure what stage number we're up to at this point, but um, we got a puncture about halfway through that stage, front right, uh, and had to drive out on a front right puncture. Ironically, Shane, who was the car in front of us, got a mm. puncture on the exact same corner. And the two cars that were behind us uh, also got a puncture on the exact same corner. So and all of us have had a look at our in-car and we've had a bit of a chat about it since and can't see what we hit, but there was something embedded in the road on that corner. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, watching the all-live, yeah, we all saw it. Shane come through the flat and then obviously you're the identical. Yeah, but didn't know about the, the other two as well. That's that's a really random one. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. For it reminds me that um, I think uh, Lewis hit like a tree or a stump or something in a bush and then three other cars hit it as well. And then we get to the regroup mm. and there's all these cars with, with panels falling off them. We're like, what yeah, happened, yeah. guys? And they're like, we don't know. And I'm like, come oh, on. Oh, Canberra. Yeah, yeah Canberra. Right. Yes, yep. yeah, it's Canberra, like, stop bullshitting. Yeah. Tell us what you hit. <laughs> and, and each one gradually got worse than the other. Actually, funny yeah. story about that. We had a ride day for Toyota out there the next day and we, um, we knew that where the ride day was was not far from from that corner where Lewis and then four or five others had hit a tree. So we went to have a look at it and we actually found it uh, exactly what they'd all hit. And it was a tree that had been cut down and it was actually upside down uh, with the trunk or basically the base of the trunk poking up onto the road. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. it's a pretty pretty damn fast section. I think I like had it as a nine or a ten. Um, yeah, <clears throat> corner, and it would have just happened in the split of a second. Yep, that yep. makes sense then. <laughs> nice. Um, so I guess moving on to on to Sunday, and it was a bit weird, bit of a weird rally. Obviously, there's a lot talked about with 160 k's the first day, half that 80 k's on Saturday, and then it was about 30 or 40 k's on on Sunday. And um, yeah, I, I guess you know that's the favoured with the favour the uh, the European TV time. Um, no, we actually had a WRC. Uh, we, so we get together as a group of friends and have um, cook cook food basically from wherever um, the WRC is on the usually the Sunday night um, European time. So we actually had a New Zealand breakfast. Uh, oh, which was, very which nice. is more it was probably just bacon and eggs. Yeah, <laughs> to be yeah. quite honest. <laughs> yeah, they don't eat too much weird stuff for breakfast over there. So. <laughs> no, no, no. It feels like Australia when it comes to food. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was a weird rally from that point of view, having mm. like 60 something percent or 70% of the event on day one, uh, and then mm. a shortish Saturday by WRC standards. And then, yeah, an absolute rally sprint on Sunday was mm. probably a bit of a shame for us because of the fact that we were learning every day, mm. a few more miles on Sunday would have been nice for us. But, um, as you saw on TV, they were still really cool stages on Sunday. So mm. it's not as though uh the quality wasn't there it's just that mm. the the quantity wasn't there mm. yeah that, you got another stage win on the sunday mm. is that right uh yep got another stage win on the second pass through the forestry stage called whitford 
Um, I actually earmarked that one on Recky as the one that I thought we might be able to win, <laughs> if if any, because it was the one stage in the rally that felt so much like home. Uh, and I'm not sure if you agree or picked up on it on the TV, but it seriously just looks like any Australian forestry stage, like in Tasmania or Canberra or anything like that. It uh, just felt like home to me. Mm. Um, and we also did quite a good time in that one on the first pass through. Um, so first stage mm. Sunday morning as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I saw, saw you smiling on the all live. You're pretty stoked yeah. at stage ends. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just to go back to a point you just made before, um, I've heard countless drivers that have maybe had a one-off WRC drive or one-off WRC2 drive or whatever it may be. Um, they've made similar comments of like they've got to the end of Sunday and oh, I just need another day. The, 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 the rally could start now. Um, and I assume that's what you were saying. You know, it really felt like that um, after, the, after the rally finished. Definitely. Um there were a few things that still would have happened to us no matter what. Like mm. I think if you look at the punctures, they were bad luck and those are just things that happen in rallying. And, uh, you know, there was not so much I could have done from my side to fix that. But certainly if I had my time over, we would have gone in a slightly different direction with setup earlier, uh, which is, you know, a big thing that we would have taken into our next rally if there was another one soon. Mm. Uh, and also the tyre pressure thing was was a big key learning for us as well. So you always operate in hindsight on these things and and wish that you could do the rally all over again. But um, the reality is as well, the guys around me would have also learned some things and, and probably made similar gains if the rally was one week later all over again. So, um, yeah, it's it's the way it is with motorsport. Uh, we... Um, yeah, I guess I'm used to in Australia knowing my car a lot better, pretty much knowing everything a lot better and just being a little more on top of what's going on at an ARC. Mm. Um, definitely the WRC uh, for me was a jump in the deep end with a few of those a few of those more technical things like like the tyre and the car. Mm. And obviously luck goes you know, both ways, but in a rally that you yourself said was quite an, an attrition rally, like the WRC field um, was almost halved by the end of it. All the, all the people around you kind of just stayed where they were. There wasn't really much um, carnage around you. So I guess that's a little bit unlucky, but lucky for them. Yeah, I do consider myself lucky though, I guess that I turned up to a WRC where there were 10 rally one hybrid cars starting and uh, I was actually able to get a top 10 WRC finish. That's mm. a cool little thing to have on the CV, and I'll always be proud that we um, we managed to achieve that. So, so yeah, there's always there's always good luck and bad luck, and I always think that swings around in roundabouts. Um, you know, probably partly what I'm focused on is trying to do another WRC again, another WRC2 outing again, because uh, I don't, really feel like we got to show enough of what we're capable of. I feel like, you know, John and I have showed speed here that is difficult to put in on a scale at times, I guess, because maybe at times we're either so far ahead or um, had already so much of a lead in a rally that even if we do push on in a stage, it's, it's you know, mm. it's not up. It, it's difficult to put on a scale of where we, where we stack up. Uh, and I think those stage wins that we got, the, the two of them, maybe showed that in small doses, but it would have been nice to show a bit more of that. So definitely that's what I'm focused on for the future is is actually trying to fight my way back there and prove that we can do more of that. 
Mm. No, definitely. You did show your speed and did Australia proud. And as like we were just discussing before, like um, you started off strong, like the, the speed was there. Um, you know, you looked if, if sort of you didn't have all those uh, bad luck, as we call it, incidents and whatever, um, you probably should have been probably second, second to Hayden there. So. Um, you've got to be got to be proud of that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. I reckon both Shane and uh, Kaito would have been pretty tough to beat, no matter what. They're both uh, pretty incredible operators. Yeah. Mm, mm. So, um, I'm I'm assuming you don't know the answer to this next question, but I'm going to ask anyway. What is the next WRC would you'd aim for? Uh, it is a very good question. Uh, I think for me, it has to be something in Europe next year. I think I've got to do it sooner rather than later so that we can actually still uh, carry the momentum and the learnings that we took from the weekend into another one. Um, but, of course, as we all know, the big question is whether or not I can actually pull together the money to do it. Um, so who knows? I can't just uh, – I wouldn't say I'm in a position anymore. I mean, I know I'm I'm still youngish, but I'm not in a position anymore probably to just – bet my house or my life on things. I've got a young family and, mm. and other things to think about. Uh, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it unless I can definitely afford to do it and, and make sure that we can do it properly as well. Because I think that's probably the other thing we as Australians catch ourselves doing from time to time is being from this side of the world. It is tougher. We all know that. I, d I don't think that's a really a fact that's deniable. Uh, but you're always going to be going up against people who are prepared, uh, you know, even if they don't have the same level of talent, talent can always be overcome by miles in the car testing um, various things. And I just need to make sure that if I'm going to turn up and do another one, that I'm putting myself in the best position to do well. And I actually think if you look at last weekend, a good example of someone who did that well without spending uh, millions of dollars, but just by using using their smarts was probably Shane Van Gisbergen because he basically prepared for Rally New Zealand pretty perfectly if you look at the fact that he did Canberra in March uh, or April, whatever it was, uh, and then ships that car straight to New Zealand and has since done two rallies in New Zealand in preparation for the WRC. Um, on the tyre, in that car, et cetera, et cetera. It's probably the perfect way to prepare. Um, and, it, you know, he, he did it without spending European sort of money. So um, I think that's, uh, yeah, hats off to him for preparing for his first WRC in pretty much the perfect way. Mm. And yeah. perhaps he prepared for Bathurst pretty well too with those, um, those wet and slippery conditions. Oh, without a doubt, he's, you know, he's coming into Bathurst with the confidence of knowing that he was in, Okay, a totally different discipline, but he was the only guy there who was in a car last weekend sharpening up on every single, you know, every single minute of every day, sharpening his skills and making sure he was ready for this weekend. Mm. And I guess it's quite funny that the two of the three Australian competitors that went over there, I'm, I'm counting him as Australian now, um, are at Bathurst this weekend, which is quite strange. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm quite at his level this weekend <laughs> but yes here we are uh both competing in a wet and wild bathurst so i reckon i haven't chatted to him about it yet but i reckon we're both pretty over um rainy conditions not from not from the point of view of competing in it but just 
dealing with it outside the car and yeah, mm. trying to stay dry. As as we mentioned every podcast, our, our mate um, El Nino, El Nino, we can't which work out <laughs> what uncle or auntie it is at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's the wet one. <laughs> yeah. I got bad news about um, AHR as well, Harry. It's, uh, it hasn't stopped raining for about two months in Adelaide. So, yeah, might be another wet one. To be expected. I'm looking forward to Adelaide Hills Rally, though. I think it'll be a different sort of event. It's cool to see the ARC trying new things. I think it'll be good. Yeah, I guess that's our next uh, kind of topic. Mm. Um, so AHR is on in two weeks, Adelaide Hills Rally, two weeks. Um, I'll, I'll be in India for all my preps. So I'm, it's actually the day before the rally for me. Um, I get back on the Tuesday and then I got Wednesday to get ready. Um, what, why the heck are you going to India, Zane? Oh, I'm going to India because uh, Molly, Molly Spaulding, friend of the show, uh, my partner, got selected to be um, an FIA rising star. Thing rally, rally, rally star. star oh, that's good. the one. Mm. Um, so she's going over with a, a group of Australians. I think there's actually mm. six or seven of them. It's quite a large contingency um, heading over. So we're leaving tomorrow and um, yeah, just doing that. Um, yeah, all, all three of us on this podcast are pretty jealous of any any aspiring rally driver under 25 at the moment because um, it's just an amazing initiative put together by the FIA to um, yeah, look at the, the details have been, I guess, a little bit murky. There's been intercontinental finals, European finals that, that you know, the picker driver, I think it's a male and a female from each sort of core in the globe and they get to do six rallies in a Fiesta rally. I think the car. first one's three three rallies or something in Europe. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah it, I, I'm a little bit salty. Um, so I I, uh, <laughs> I started rallying. The year I started rallying, they just finished up the um, the Pirelli star driver, mm. I think it was back then. Mm-hmm. And then the year I turned 27, they bring in the new one. Mm. So anyway, um, same. I'm, what could I'm, have been? We must be the exact same age, Zane. Yeah, because yeah. I'm in the exact same boat as you. Yeah. So yeah, but no, it is incredible, absolutely awesome for these young guys. And I hope, well, I hope two things. One is that they all go over there and have an amazing time together, because I think that's part of it. Is that um, you know they're all representing Australia, and the mm. fact that they get to do it as a bit of a team is pretty cool. Mm. Uh, and I hope as well that um, a couple of our young talented. Drivers do extremely well, um, including Molly, because obviously we know that um, the FIA and Motorsport Australia are as keen as possible to give um, to give women in motorsport as the best opportunity to succeed as well. So um, hopefully, all going well, they can progress and and move on to the next stages after India. Yeah, and and, and talking about they, uh, we should probably should do a shout out. It's Ryan Williams, um, ASE competitor, Aiden Peterson as well, isn't it? So? Yep. Um, yeah. Taylor else? Gill. Wild Taylor Gill. Of course, friend of the uh, show. There's a couple of the um, like the simulator qualified people, so I'm not sure if they've been around. Mm. Um, there mm. is a guy from Tassie, I think, who competed in an XL. Um, mm. He qualified that way. Um, mm. Got his name, sorry. Um, anyway, but Ryan Williams, a, a good mm. segue. Yeah, going going back to um, <laughs> we we fast forwarded a bit quickly to Adelaide Hills Rally there, didn't we? Yeah, so Ryan Williams, friend of the show, well, maybe one day, um, <laughs> was over in New Zealand, and he is now an international photographer, mm. videographer star, mm. made it onto pretty, the WRC feed. Pretty much Ryan <laughs> McCline. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so for those oh, that no. haven't seen it, um, yeah, Oliver Solberg, um, mm. another segue later for Oliver. Anyway, <laughs> Oliver true. Solberg um, decided to absolutely send it over a jump on, uh, on mm. Jack's Ridge, and uh, Ryan was there with his camera. And uh, yeah, mm. made it onto the uh, the feed. Mm. It, it was pretty uh, 
cool actually watching it on the, on the live feed. Um, unfortunately, they they uh, he was, they showed him his his forward camera coming up to the jump and and taking off, and then they switched to his face camera, and like. It was several seconds. You could see them like rising their seats. I'm like, they still haven't hit the ground yet. What's going on here? And as soon as they hit the ground, I think uh, was it Zane uh, or one of our mates on one of the chats said, "Instant sunglasses." <laughs> yeah, they got the visors up in the <laughs> yeah, helmet and it just dropped, <laughs> dropped out. It was pretty good. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, actually, uh, Luke, mm. Luke, and Andy. The other part about it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Luke and Andy, they did a huge jump. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, we, we got said, a poo yeah. react um, message from Andy up to Andy, the stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Theirs landed nice, though. Oliver's didn't mm, land so nice. Mm, Luke and Andy's mm. actually landed really nice. But mm. I thought the funniest part about Oliver's uh, in-car looking back is uh, obviously he's Swedish-Norwegian, but he has his notes called in English. And I love the way that those guys, obviously, I don't know if – he just said this because he's got an English co-driver and his mind's very attuned to English at that moment or if because it's an expression that sounds better in English. But he just, in English, on landing, says, don't know if we're going to bleep this out for the, the, the final edit or not, but the way he was like, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't I hear that thought, often in a stage. Yeah. No, I just thought that was very funny. Yeah. Speaking of F-bombs, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen was uh, making friends, <laughs> making friends with FIA every every stage. The, the poor end. presenters, hey! <laughs> they had to keep apologising for him every stage. End, he was he was going off. It was, it was pretty good, but for a good reason, you know. He was he was pretty excited and, and, and set some pretty good times and had a, had a great time. Yeah, and actually, another thing. I'm um, just going yeah. back to it. The, the presenters had a question for you, Harry. Um, they noticed you were wearing your glasses for one stage. And then they were quite confused when the next one you weren't wearing your glasses. Could you just explain that mm. for Bex and Julian? Um, so on – oh, God, there's a bit of a story here. Jesus. <laughs> on day one, uh, I was getting ready for a stage and couldn't get my glasses to stop fogging up. So I ended up just thinking, well – not being able to see perfectly is probably better than um, – because I always wear glasses in the rally car, have mm. done since two thousand and beginning of 2019. Um, it's a pretty weak prescription, but uh, they they help me a little bit with my long-distance vision, and so I think I'll if there's a small advantage to be had, then I'll take it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't stop them fogging up because of how wet it was and how drizzly it was and everything. Every time I was trying to get ready for a stage, I was struggling to keep them from getting wet. and then. There was a stage on Friday where I just could not keep them dry and they kept fogging up and so I went, I'll stuff it and threw them back into the into the glasses case, into the pocket and um, just didn't wear them for that stage. Okay. Um, but then there's the story gets better from here. <laughs> uh, on day two, after I won my first ever WRC2 stage, I got out. John and I were high-fiving each other on the side of the road, all very excited. And I sat my glasses on the roof of the rally car and then um, drove off to the next stage and arrived there and went, I don't have my glasses. And I knew straight away, like it didn't even take, I didn't bother looking for them. I knew straight away. I sat them on the roof. They're gone. Mm. Uh, So then I had a spare pair of glasses, luckily, which got me through the rest of the rally from there. But, um, But yeah. That was a pretty expensive little error. Wow, there you it's, go. it's it's a good subject. Um, and 
uh, like I, I do defensive driver training for a living and, and I tell everyone that drive, uh, vision's the most important thing for driving. If you can not drive a car, you can just be better, better looking. And, and hence for the similar reasons I've, I've purchased glasses. Um, I don't need them, but it makes if everything a little bit more clearer for racing. Um, but I did like it. I don't know if you remember, you remember earlier in the year, Monte Carlo and Seb, Sebastian Loeb rocked up, you know, he's a good old retiree. <laughs> they let him out for a, for the weekend. Yeah. Um, and he was there wearing glasses and the presenters were asking him, oh, he's just, he's just old, mate. He said, nah, just helps me see better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is what they do, isn't it? Right. Yeah. So imagine how many more championships and rallies he would have won if he realized that 15 years ago. And the, the Terry spec, the yellow lenses, <laughs> that's what we need. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's surprising, actually, how common they are in rallying. But I reckon you're probably onto something there, Guy. Mm. None of us are uh, probably completely blind or anything like mm. that and, and desperately need them. But they do help. I know that they help me. If I, if I do a stage without them, everything's... Uh, a little less clear, let's say. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cheap speed. I do know that Thierry Newville uh, is genuinely reliant on glasses because uh, I've seen through his social media over the years, he does quite a lot of eye exercises um, and things to, to keep his eye health, um, I guess, in tip-top mm. shape. But uh, he's the only one I know of that you'll see in glasses, you know, sort of full-time. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. We should probably have a quick chat, I guess, um, on the on the WRC section of the event and and what went on there. And um, one of the biggest dramas of the weekend, and, and Zane and I were pretty <laughs> pretty full on, uh, pretty pretty annoyed about it. Was the uh, the hybrid penalties? <sighs> Bit of a drama there. So we had um, not only um, I think it was Tanak, Neville, and Solberg get penalties for it was over boosting, wasn't it, Zane? It well, was it's like an like extra like. <laughs> kilojoule or the microjoule or something yeah, of energy yeah. like who cares just get on with it like yeah anyway we we know our we've made our opinion very clear about mm. hybrid um it'd be nice if the fia stopped proving us right every event um <laughs> just just i don't know i don't i don't know what the solution is but mm. less bullshit mm. um less penalties luckily the rally wasn't decided on the penalty um but if it had been it's just a, it's just a disgrace for for something a, mm. a clerical error that resulted in 0.01 of a second being gained. Um, I, I can tell you, though, even if penalties mm. aren't, dis, you know, even if you look at the how the rally finished and you go, well, the penalty didn't decide the outcome of the rally, they still have a massive impact on the way you approach the next stage and possibly they have an impact on, you know, your pace in that next stage, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like, if, yeah, you know, yeah. if you know you've just received a 15-second penalty, your mentality is going to change pretty much instantly to what it would if you were 15 seconds further up the road. Yeah, you got to be mm. pretty headstrong to um to not let that kind of stuff affect yeah. you. I mean, it affects yeah. me watching it at home, so I, I can only yeah. imagine what poor Oit Tanak feels every event. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting yeah. how, how the Toyotas got it too. It was like and weird how it hasn't happened all year, this overboosting. Not that I'm aware of. I've seen it happen, but well, between different manufacturers. There was a bulletin for the, mm. for the stage that you had a different amount of jewels available. And, and yeah, anyway, who cares? Move on. Um, anything else happened? So Calais won. Um, shocker, mm. I know. Crazy. Mm. Won the power um, stage, won the rally, won the, won the championship. Yep. What a legend. Mm. Mm, pretty much. Yep, super impressive. I was um just before the first stage on Sunday morning, I was 
sort of lined up behind him. Everyone at a WRC stops four or five kilometres from the stage to helmet up and warm their tyres in those last four or five kilometres before the stage. And I was stopped right before, right behind him at the start of the day. So I mm. went up to Carle and Yone and said, good luck today, guys. You know, feeling like this is my one opportunity to wish Carle Rovenpera, who's about to become world champion, good luck. So I'm going to take it. Mm. <laughs> Those are the, the, the things you've got to take advantage of when you're at a WRC and surrounded by guys like Carly Rovenpera. Yeah, mm. nice guy. Mm. Yeah, 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 they are. They're super cool, um, to be honest. The, the way they are... In the car, I reckon, is the exact same way they are out of the car. Carle's, to me, real ice man. His emotions are neither here or here. They're just kind of always in the middle. Um, and I think, if anything, Jona Holtonen's probably the more excitable and um, uh, probably got a bigger personality, I guess, of the two. Uh, but I reckon that between them makes for a pretty cool relationship in the car and I mean, 22 and going into winning your first world championship, but not only winning your first world championship, having to do it on the power stage the way he did is just unbelievable. Mm. Um, I just take my hat off to him. I just think, what a star. Yeah, it's, it's got, he's got the mentality of, you know, a 34-year-old Sebastian Ogier, but he, he's, he's basically a teenager. Like, it's crazy. Um, he, he just he just has it. He has it all. So we're kind of worried about the next ten years of, of rallying, but um, yeah, you never know. Yeah. Although interestingly, did you see the article about him that came out just prior to the event where he basically said that mm. he doesn't think he'll be a Lobo Anosia. He doesn't think he'll be in the sport for forever. He didn't put a time on it. He didn't say five years, ten years. He just said one thing. I can tell you is that won't be me. I won't be winning nine or ten world titles. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, he's doing drifting and stuff, so he must just love driving cars and wants to do everything, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, the most important question there is, I mean, being a bit pretty laid back bloke, did he just have a quiet one with his mates, or did he party hard and into uh, <laughs> the wee hours of Sunday? I wouldn't know. I wasn't there. Um, I would hope that they would have partied hard, mm. but mm. I do know they were on the nine nine a.m. flight or whatever mm. out of. Um, out of Auckland the next morning. So, yeah, maybe they just never went home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he started dancing on the roof. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe he's done a Nico Hulken, but uh, not a Nico, a Nico Rosberg. He's just retired now. He's going to live in, live his life in New Zealand. As a hey, champion. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. I, I really want to see what he can do next. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What um, else just, happened to the rally? Go. Well, 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 just quickly, I, I guess finishing a discussion of New Zealand was interesting. The the article that came out, I think, before the rally started on the Thursday morning, that we're actually not going back to all the WRCs and going back to New Zealand next year, which is it was a pretty big shock because we're all fairly aware that um, there's been a lot of news around that the WRC won't be coming back to Australia till 2024, and I don't know, sort of uh, maybe assumed or given that it was going to go to New Zealand again next year. And it sort of does raise the question of whether the WRC is going to come down to these parts of the world next year or maybe um, across our side of the, of the pond. Yeah, I, I don't know. I assume when we see the 2023 WRC calendar that it'll start to make a bit more sense mm. that maybe there'll be a replacement that'll pop up um, and we'll see that as taking... New Zealand or Australia's place for now. Um, but I actually don't know what the future is for the WRC in this part of the world. 
in an ideal world, the WRC would come to, you know, in an ideal world for us, of course, mm. the mm. WRC would come to both Australia and New Zealand in a calendar year. Um, that would be ideal. And, you know, to us sort of maybe more basic thinkers, the logic would be to have them a fortnight apart, I would think, so mm. that you could just kill two birds with one stone while you're on this side of the hemisphere um, or this side of the globe, rather. But, yeah. I don't know. I, I hope I hope one of the two or both come back in 2024, but at 2023 certainly looking like a pretty dry year here. Mm. Yeah, we, we all know where, where, where it's coming back to when it comes to Australia. Yeah, we'll uh, certainly uh, we'll see. our focus at, at WRC we'll Adelaide uh, to 2024. Yeah. yeah. What, what would your um, thoughts on that be, Harry? Um, what would my thoughts on that be? <laughs> I think that Adelaide is a great city to run a rally out of. Uh, I think you have lots of stages close to the city, especially when you look at Rally New Zealand's. Mm. Um, they used Auckland CBD as the service park, uh, but the stages were actually 100 and no more, 200k south on Friday, um, whereas Adelaide has more stages close by. Mm. Would you think seriously, though, that you would have 160 kilometres worth of roads? Quite gravel, easily. Gravel Quite roads easily. around? And are you including things like the Barossa Valley in that? Mm. Yeah, I, I've, I've drawn up a whole rally, mate. <laughs> righto, righto. <laughs> you got to plan these things. Um, so, uh, look, you know, very vaguely, there's a lot of there's a lot down south on the Fleurier Peninsula. You could run yep. a whole day down there. You could run a whole yep. day in the central Adelaide Hills and a whole day in the Barossa pretty much. I think there's some yeah. stuff that um, the ARC hasn't seen and that, to be perfectly mm. honest, we haven't seen in, in 20 years mm. either. Um, but they're still there, and it's just the councils are, are difficult. Mm. Um, yeah, and then honest. the other the other topic which we've talked about a little bit um, internally is that um, the potential for a, a, a split surface event. Mm. Well, yeah, um, which yeah. which yeah probably logistically wouldn't happen. Mm. Yeah, I, I I listened to your podcast. So I, I have heard all. <laughs> I have I have heard all these discussions before. Done your homework, um, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that gravel is probably the only way to go if you're running it out of Adelaide. And I do know mm. that there are more mm -hmm. stages that we haven't done. And I hope that mm. at least in the ARC we get to see them again one day. But, um, yeah, obviously there's lots of cool roads in Adelaide. That's that's for sure. I just, mm. I just also know that potentially something like High End wouldn't probably make it onto a WRC itinerary. Because yeah, I've heard that. I thought because yeah. they'd all get yeah. beaten by a magnet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, local yeah. knowledge. No, um, I've heard that. I've heard the trees are, are actually a problem these days. Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I I just think there's certain stages that would be fine, and certain stages where uh, potentially the FIA safety people would say a big fat no. Um, and yeah. I'm basing that mm. a little bit on the fact that shipments got pulled from. Uh, featuring in WRC, mm. which Shipman's is a famous Coffs Harbour stage, used to be a, a stage in the WRC, and uh, it is no longer a stage in the WRC for that reason. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's it's funny, isn't it? Like uh, you look at Monte Carlo, they race along the side of a cliff with uh, 700 metre drops below them with a skinny little guardrail, and <laughs> that's deemed acceptable. But as soon as they come to our part of the world with gum trees as big as your door, they um they say no. 
Yes. Well, the real question is getting state government support. So we'll keep. Uh, I'll keep harassing um, my new mate. Oh, Peter. your new mate, Mal- Malianaskis. <laughs> yeah, my new mate. I have to keep harassing him. Um, one day he'll reply to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Anyway, no. So we should move on yeah. to, the, to the to the next Adelaide rally, um, which we're all going to um, Adelaide Hills rally at the bend. We we briefly touched on it. Um, so I don't know what we said before, but basically three days, two of them at the bend. Um, it's the Shannon's Nationals is on at the same day. So lots of circuit people doing circuit things. Um, probably going to be wet. Um, some really cool stages using bits of access roads, bits of um, the stage itself. I know, I know mm. the guy and I had a bit of a play because they actually released the itinerary before they released the maps. Um, and the first stage on the, on the, on the list is the GT track, um, which the GT track is seven point something kilometers guy. Uh, 7.77 kilometres, the, yeah, the, the stage was, racetrack in the world. Yeah, the stage was 8.1. So we, mm. I know we got on Google Maps and started drawing little little uh, corners and stuff. and we figured With, with out, about, what was yeah. it, 100 metres of gravel yeah, as well? Yeah. <laughs> to be a little bit creative one. there. And then, and then they just gave the map to us anyway. So that yeah. took the fun out of it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. The, like the, the four stages run around the GT circuit, predominantly like a, a amazingly wide racetrack on the Friday night and run at two the ne- the last two stages um, with lights on at night, uh, which will be interesting. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, and we've we've talked about um <laughs> this week uh, Zane and I and um our co-driver Steve um about tires and you know about buffing or whether you're allowed to use tarmac tires. It's quite an <laughs> interesting subject at the moment. Uh, we're waiting on a bit of information from the event what's allowed and what's not allowed um what what's your investigation shown us shown there harry uh <laughs> <laughs> we, we can the put this out I, in a few weeks or something well <laughs> to me the risk always is that a couple of those tarmac stages are actually going to be pretty long mm. and if you start on buff tires they're going to become too buffed to actually continue in the rally and we're still governed by the the tire allocation for the event. So mm. I haven't fully made up my mind on what the best strategy is, but um, one thing I do know is we're going to need a minimum of two sets of tires to get through all of the gravel stuff. So that only leaves you with uh, a couple of sets to get you through the tarmac stuff as well. And obviously you're not going to want to have to go onto anything gravel with buff tires uh, so you've also got to plan accordingly there as well with regards to is there a service where I can get new tyres uh, or not. So, uh, you know, between tarmac and gravel mm. stages. Um, I always think that on a gravel stage, you know, gravel tyres are obviously essential. On a tarmac stage, if you have to do a few kilometres on gravel tyres, it's not the end of the world. So, yeah. Um, but I must say I haven't, I haven't fully committed to a plan yet. So you you've actually recently done some some track stuff in your car at uh, at the Melbourne Grand Prix. Um, so that that was on Hoosiers. Yep, that was yep. on Hoosiers. And how yep. they were? Were they all right? Yeah, um, they we we didn't buff them at all. We just literally took a set of tires from Rally Canberra, which was the weekend prior, and put them on the car as they were. And this is probably my point about tire wear and where you have to be a bit careful is that. By the end of the Grand Prix weekend, we probably did about 30, probably about 30 kilometres, I reckon, uh, 
on those tyres and they were pretty buffed by the end of the Grand Prix weekend. Like certainly the left mm. the left tyres, it's a it's a clockwise circuit mm. and the left front and left rear were, were pretty buffed. Yeah. There you go. That might impact our decision-making, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See what happens, eh? Yeah. And yeah. I have experience of uh, tyres that become too buffed where Barry Habgood comes over with, uh, which Barry Habgood, for those who don't know, is the ARC chief scrutineer, comes over with and uh, checks the tread depth and says, nope, that's below the minimum, you can't run them. And so I had to do a super special stage a few years ago on um, on basically new gravel tyres and not buff tyres. <laughs> yeah, because the, the minimum is three mil across 70% Correct. of the tyre. Yeah. Correct, yeah. Yes, uh, interesting to see uh, what, what strategy people go there and uh, certainly with setups as well, that's a whole other sort of kettle of fish there, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, I think depends. it's quite interesting because it's a very different rally from what we're used to. Um, and as fast as your AP4 uh, Toyota is, it's, it's very well developed for gravel. So I'm thinking we might have some uh, some interesting stage times from <laughs> from some competitors. Like if, if you look at a PRC car, obviously it's it's nothing compared to the AP4 on a gravel stage, but on a, on a kilometre-wide tarmac circuit, I think it might be interesting. Yep, for sure. Um, yeah, driving on tarmac obviously is a – different art so there's potentially some guys who are doing the rally who've never driven on on tarmac so that'll be cool as well um but i'm expecting for sure the sort of super special rally sprint type nature of the event to tighten things up and make it far more far more close we've still got the saturday for you to get a minute gap on um, like. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot I of gum trees like, out there. I feel like all these people are breathing down my neck now. No, I mean, I'm <laughs> obviously very excited to go back to those stages. We haven't been there since 2019, so I can't wait. Uh, and uh, word on the street, we've got Aaron Windus back. Finally, he's got mm. his subframe from um, overseas, Poland or something. Anyway, he's got his, mm. his Subaru Ford back together. Uh, it's coming over, so that'll be cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I was just looking looking at the entry list. Um, I think entry's closed about a, an hour and a half ago or so, um, and we've got an entry list of 40 cars um, uh, going on the Motorsport Australia website, which is an interesting uh, addition, I suppose, to uh, the last couple of years. We've actually been able to see the amount of entries coming in as a live thing rather than waiting for the um, the official event entry list, which sort of takes the fun and the surprise out of it, I guess, a little bit. Um, but, yeah, 40 entries seems pretty good. We've obviously got yourself, Harry, um, uh, Lewis and Richie, um, and, yeah, people like Aaron. Um, I just saw Daniel Gonzalez in the Hyundai R5 just put an entry in. Um, that must have been tonight, uh, which would be good to see him back after his bit of a tumble in, in Gippsland. Um, yeah, and pretty, but pretty strong, strong. He's entered in the Hyundai? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yes, yeah, no, good on him. So, yeah, no, a reasonably strong field there, and hopefully we put on a good show. It's obviously the the so it's the Bend Classic, um, and and a couple of circuit races as well. Um, and Shannon's Nationals coming across, so it should be a, a good motorsport weekend for people to come and um, spectate and attend at the Bend Motorsport Park um, from the twenty first to the twenty third of October. Yeah, be really cool. It'll be cool as well. Obviously, to be a part of a a reasonably large circuit racing weekend so that we can, um, well, mm. we'll get a chance to spectate their racing and they'll also get a chance to spectate our rallying, which will be great. Mm. Definitely. Cool. Anything else you wanted to talk about, Harry? 
Any plugs? You uh, want to do? No, 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 no plugs. Um, no, nothing else I wanted to discuss. But thank you very much for having me on. It was good to get my rally New Zealand experience off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and thanks for sharing it with us. Um, yeah, it was good to do it so uh, so freshly after the event. And I'm sure a lot of people will like to hear the story and a bit of the background as well. Um, it was a pretty pretty cool pretty cool how it all came about for you. And um, yeah, well, um, you enjoy. Uh, you you're, you're still racing the 86 all weekend, Bathurst there? Yep. So we had our first race today uh, and then I've got uh, two more. So one tomorrow and one Sunday. Yep. Uh, and it looks like it's just going to be more and more wet as the weekend goes on. Did, did you have time to have post rally blues? Um, yeah, almost. Uh, oh, the pack up for us for New Zealand was pretty wild. We had to clean the car um, on the Monday morning, uh, and our flight was at four pm that afternoon. So basically, clean the car, get all the tools and spares back into a back into storage, basically, and then. Um, and then get ourselves out of New Zealand and then uh, got into Canberra at 10, 10.30 p.m. Monday night. Uh, and then I was at Bathurst 12 hours later getting ready for Bathurst this week. So, uh, yeah, it's been a pretty hectic time since. So I do feel like I still had time for post-rally blues, though. Um, the result ultimately was a bit disappointing to me. Um I know that we got fourth WRC two and tenth in the WRC, and I am proud of that. But I also feel like we went there wanting more, so it feels like unfinished business. First WRC junior, wasn't it? Oh yeah, first WRC junior. Yeah, <laughs> you got something yeah. to prove. Prove you went there. <laughs> Some bit of plastic, yeah. or yeah, <laughs> just uh, yeah, just casually four or five years older than the. Um, than the guy who managed to win his first world title there, but anyway, <laughs> we, we won't we won't mention that. <laughs> um, on that on that bombshell, thanks, Harry. Yeah. Cheers for coming along. Best of luck. Thanks, this guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for waiting round. It's time to hit the road. If you liked the regroup, please follow us wherever you get your podcasts.